You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Good morning. And it's good to see you guys. So as you may or may not know, this week in Augusta and the CSRA, it's just a crazy week, right? This is Master's Week. Some people call it spring break. We don't even call it spring break here. It's Master's Week, right? So they just let the kids out of school for Master's Week. They try to make it a spring break type thing. Um, but everybody is just busy, right? And then spring break, Master's Week comes, and it's like, man, it's time to get some rest. And I don't know how many of you have gotten rest this week, but I am not one of them. So Master's Week does not help me get rest. If anything, it just makes things busier because my kids are home. They're not at school. So, right, I have to watch my own kids. That's crazy, right, that I have to t- actually take care of some little humans, right, when other people are usually doing that. But, man, it's just a, it's a fun week here in the area. If you're from here, you just know you've grown up here. And, man, it's a busy time in the CSRA. It's a, it's a crazy, chaotic time. Businesses, they just survive off of this one week, right? There's some, there's specific businesses in this area that if they didn't have Master's Week, they just wouldn't make it. Master's Week just provides for them all year. And it's just a blessing that we get to live here. I don't know if you've ever been out to the course or not. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Um, And if my yard could look like that, I would make it. And I just can't. I've tried. I don't have enough money. And Man, it's, it's Master's Week, so I wore my Master's shirt. That's why I said all that, just to tell you why I'm wearing this shirt. And this shirt is probably the most expensive shirt that I've ever had, so I don't wear it much. Right? I only wear it maybe once or twice every quarter, if that. This is maybe my fourth time ever wearing this shirt because it's that expensive. And I'm just, I'm a tightwad, if you will, right? Um, some people say I'm cheap. I don't think I'm cheap. I just don't like to spend money. So when I do, I don't want to mess it up. And here's, here's why I'm saying all that, because, hey, we have something that's more valuable than any shirt, more valuable than any golf course, more valuable than any tournament, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We have salvation that is more valuable, and God says, hey, I want you to wear it every day. I want you to give it away. I want you to share it with everybody, and it's the most valuable thing we could ever have as a human being. Man, if some of us treat our salvation and treat the gospel like I treat this shirt, that man, it's just something that I'll put on every now and then. It's something that I'll wear just when I really need it. It's something that I'll present to people when I think it'll benefit me. And that's how we treat salvation. That's how we treat the gospel. Instead of saying, hey, I have been redeemed by the blood of the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And I want to share that with every single person I can share it with. We just, sometimes we take it out of the closet. Most of the time we leave it in. Because it doesn't benefit what we want and what the world says that we should have. And and that's what I'm praying that this series has kind of helped us it transform our minds to, to see how Jesus lived this last week up into the cross. And what we've gotten to see so far is that he entered the city and people were praising him like he was truly the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
And then we, we got to see that he entered into the temple and what was supposed to be a place of worship had turned into a place of worldly activities and he didn't like that very much. So what did he do? He flipped over the tables. And then we got to see how he had a, a final meal with his closest friends, with the disciples. And how this meal pointed to Jesus. How everything about this Passover meal pointed to the perfect Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So this morning we're going to pick up from there, and after dinner, Jesus goes and he goes to the garden. So what we've seen so far is that he enters the city, he enters the temple, he enters the upper room for dinner, and now he's going to enter into the garden. And we're going to see how this prayer, he, he actually goes to the garden to pray. We're going to see how this prayer and the, the response of the people around him, how that can really impact our lives. And man, if this story doesn't impact your life, if it doesn't just do something inside of you, man, then I would, I would encourage you to just check where you are spiritually. Because this is something that is, it's just powerful to see the, the humanity of Jesus. That we think of Jesus as as all-powerful as, as God, and, and that's right, we should, but he was also all human. Man, and the humanity of Jesus comes through in this prayer, and I, and I really want you to get that this morning, that, man, Jesus, he was, he was a human, he was a man, and he felt the same things that you and I feel. He wasn't just some, some supernatural being that was, that was brought here, and he had superhuman just abilities. Now, he did have that, but he was also fully human, and at times I think it's really hard for us to understand that, and I'm hoping through this prayer, through this story that we're going to read, through the event in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're going to see how Jesus really took on the form of humanity and how much he really cares about you. And if you leave with nothing else, I want you to leave this morning understanding that Jesus loves you. And he loves you. And maybe you're sitting there saying, well, you tell us that every week. And I'm going to continue to tell you that every week because that is the truth. And the truth of the gospel is God loves you so much that he sent Jesus on a rescue mission for you. For you. Now make this personal. We're going to be in Matthew 26 this morning. If you want to turn there, we'll start in verse 36. But before we begin reading, just a couple things I want to point out to you. Number one is this. Easter's next week, right? Easter service where we celebrate the resurrection. Now, we've done this series leading up to the cross. And next week at Easter, we're going to actually talk about the cross. And then we're going to talk about the resurrection. This is what I want you to do. I want you to begin to pray for some people today. And I just want you to invite people that really need to hear the gospel. Because that's what we're going to do here. We're going to present the gospel. We're going to let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. We're not going to try to trick anybody or do anything like that. We're simply going to tell the truth of the gospel of Jesus and allow the Spirit to change people's hearts. Amen? So if you know someone that just needs the hope of the Savior, man, invite them. And if they're like, I don't want to go to that Impact Church. They're weird. Say, yeah, we are weird. But hey, there's a lot of other churches in there you could go to. Encourage them to go somewhere. They don't have to come here. Man, there's going to be churches all around 
the CSRA preaching the gospel of Jesus. There's going to be a lot of people that don't know Jesus, that don't have a relationship with him, sitting in church because they go on Easter Sunday and they're going to get to hear the truth. Man, and what we should do as Christ followers, as believers, is begin to pray for them now. Let's begin to pray for lost people to be found. Let's begin to pray that the people that we never thought would give their life to Jesus give their life to Jesus. How many of you have somebody that you know that you're like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. They're never giving their life to Jesus. Raise your hand. Be honest. Let's be honest. Hey, I used to think that too. And there's probably still some people that I'm like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. But here's the deal. They don't need me to do anything because God is doing all the work. The Spirit is drawing people unto himself. And man, I've seen them change some people that I never thought would change. And maybe that's some of you. Maybe some of you sitting in here are like, yeah, I was that person that people would raise their hand about. And look, God changed me. Man, I praise God that he still changes people. Amen? Praise, praise God that we meet here together, not for our benefit, but to give him glory, to give him honor, to give him praise. What we don't want to ever become is a church that is just consumer-driven, right? We don't come here because we get something out of it. Man, and praise God that we do get something because the Spirit is that good and He loves us that much. But that's not why we come. We come to praise Him. We come to honor Him. We come to lift Him up. Man, and, and I'm grateful that people's lives are changed because the Spirit is working but man, I never want you to fall into the trap of coming to church because it makes you feel good. And I want you to come to church because you want to give God praise in a corporate setting with other people. Man, and then just let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. Man, and we get to experience that next Sunday at Easter. We have some specific Easter invite cards that we ordered in. They look like this. They're over on the Welcome Center. Man, just grab you three or four or five of these, ten if you want to, however many you think you need, grab these, pass these out to some people and invite them to Easter at Impact. And again, if they say, man, that's a weird church, say, amen, it is a weird church. But there's other churches that aren't as weird as us. Go to some of those churches, right? We're not in a competition. We're on the same team for the kingdom. Number two is this. We didn't have life group this week because of Master's Week. We are bringing that back next week. So we're going to begin our study um, for our life group this coming Wednesday. We'll meet at New Holt, the Family Life Center, like we did two weeks ago. If you didn't make it to the first week, you didn't miss anything except some pizza, right? Which is a big miss, but you didn't miss any of the study. So we're beginning the study this week. Man, come if you want the information. It's on the Church Center app. If you don't have access to that, just get with me and I will get you the, the study, the information for that. But man, I encourage you to be there. The doors are open at 630. The study will start at 6.45, and we will have dinner. Um, maybe not pizza, but we will have dinner, and it's going to be good. Amen. Let's pray, and then we're going to read the Word of God. God, I just pray that you speak this morning through your Spirit. And I pray that lives and hearts are changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 26, starting in verse 36, says this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Listen to this. Even to death, remain here and watch 
with me. So the first thing I want us to pull out of this passage is that there's a sorrowful Jesus. The sorrowful Jesus. Now what this does is this shows the human nature of Jesus. So here we have the, the, the second person of the Trinity, right? We have God the Father, God the Son. This is, this is Him. This is God. And He goes and He begins to pray. And I want to encourage you with this this morning that He was sorrowful even unto death. Meaning that man, He was dealing with some emotions and some feelings that made Him want to die. And, and I think this is something we miss a lot of times as the church is because we, we tell people, hey, if you have any type of anxiety, any type of depression, any type of these thoughts, then man, you just don't have enough faith. And then we see the Son of God having thoughts where He was sorrowful even unto death. And you can't tell me that He didn't have enough faith. Man, people get sad. People have these deep, deep emotional feelings. Man, and what I want to encourage you with this morning is even the Savior of the world had these feelings. Man, he, he knew what was about to happen in his life. Nobody else around him knew what was going on. And he had been telling them and he had been telling them and it's kind of like as a husband, your wife tells you something over and over and over and over and then when you don't do it and she gets mad, you're like, hey, you never told me to do that. And even though she continuously told you, right, maybe I'm the only husband like that, but that happens to me a lot. And this is how Jesus is with his disciples. He's telling them over and over and over and over, and they just don't get it. But he knows what's coming. He knows that the cross is about to happen. And he is sorrowful, even to the point of death. It shows the human nature of Jesus in Greek. This is the greatest agony that you can experience. That's the word that's used here for sorrow. The greatest agony imaginable. He is in the garden. He is about to begin to pray to the Father. And He's showing His humanity in this moment. And I want some of you to understand this morning that it's okay to show your, your humanity. It's okay to be human. We are human. And it doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith if you're going through some emotional struggle. It doesn't mean that if you, if you have these thoughts of anxiety or depression or whatever it may be, just fearful type of thoughts, hey, this is what I know. That we are going to feel that way sometimes, but we serve a God who can overcome those feelings. That we serve a God who can fill in the gap for us when we don't have the strength to do it. That's why when he says, I am, right, I am who I am, he is the strength when you're not strong. That's who he is. He is the joy when you don't have the joy in your own life. He is the peace when all you feel is chaos. He is who he is. And he's everything that we're not. And everything that we need, he is that. If we continue to read, verse 39 says this, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So here we have Jesus talking to the Father. 
And he says, hey, if it be possible. And maybe for some of you that's like, man, well, everything's possible with God. So what does he even mean by if it be possible? And, and while it's true, on one hand, everything is possible with God, there are some moral things that just aren't possible. Right? We see in the book of Hebrews that God can't lie, that he is true. So it's morally impossible for him. We see that it's impossible to please God without faith. Right? So there are some moral things that make it impossible for God to do something. And this was one of those things because in order to redeem sin, there had to be a perfect lamb. So for God to just, just say, well, you know what, your sin doesn't really matter, then he would be morally out of place. So this would be morally impossible for God to take this cup and when we see cup, we've talked about this before, but it's just a, it's a powerful picture of the wrath of God. I want you to think about the greatest wrath that you've ever experienced in your life. And I'm going to, I'll tell you for me, it's, it's when I was a kid. And I don't know how you got spanked as a kid. Maybe some of you didn't. There's some of you in here that you can tell that you never got spanked as a kid. But I'm just going to let you, you know, praise God for you and for you being here. I got spanked as a kid. My wife would tell you that I didn't, but I did. And my dad had a paddle, right? And it wasn't just like some little boat paddle. To me, it was about this thick, right? And it, maybe it wasn't that thick, but that's what it was like for me as a kid. And he drilled holes in this thing because he convinced me that the holes made this thing fly through the air, right? A little quicker. And I got hit with that, but that paddle was wrath to me. I didn't want to get a spanking. Man, I would put underwear on and underwear on and underwear on. And man, that just made it worse because they always know when you have extra underwear on. Like, I don't get it. But they just know that, hey, boy, you got some extra underwear on, don't you? Nope. And it's just poking out, you know, everywhere around me. And man, it's just, whew, that's wrath to me. Now, my kids, they don't even know what a paddle is. Like, we, and, and I, <laughs> We need to get some paddles back, right? The, the world just needs some paddles back. That's all I'm going to say. We need, we need to start paddling some kids again. We don't do that. And I hurt my hands spanking some, my kids sometimes, and then I feel bad. I ain't going to hurt the paddle, so I won't feel bad, right, hitting them with a paddle. But, man, that's the greatest wrath that I remember, right, as a kid, is when my dad worked out of town. He came home on the weekends. And that's never a good scenario for a kid, right? Because if you get in trouble on Monday, daddy finds out on Monday he's coming home Friday. You're waiting all week for daddy to get home. And mama's always like, wait till your daddy gets home. I don't want to wait till daddy gets home. Why don't you just spank me now? And we won't even tell daddy. But that's not how life works, right? Daddy finds out. Daddy comes home. Daddy drills another hole in the paddle. And here we go. And I'm freaking out. And the wrath of daddy God's coming down on my behind. And it's just, man, that is the greatest wrath. Now, I want you to, I want you to just think about the, the greatest wrath you can think about in your life. Man, and this is infinity times worse than that. This is the wrath of almighty God about to come down on Jesus. And he says, man, if, if it possible, let this cup pass from me, this cup of wrath. And I just want to read you two Old Testament verses to kind of give you a picture of this wrath. But Isaiah 51 puts it like this. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, 
you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. And then in Jeremiah 25, it says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Man, this wrath of God is a total destruction. And Jesus is about to drink of this cup, this wrath. And he says, hey, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And you say, well, how can somebody, knowing what he was about to experience, still go through with drinking the cup of this wrath? And then we see the answer. And there's a lot of answers, but this is, this is one of the biggest ones for me. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and protector of our faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? It was your salvation and his ascension back to the Father. That was the joy set before him. It was you. Man, he drinks from the cup because he is rescuing you from your sin. And he knows that the only way possible for you to be reconciled back to the Father is for him to drink of this cup of the wrath of God. And for him to endure the cross. It says, despising the shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the joy set before him. Man, and before we leave this point, I just want you to, to get a, a really big glimpse of the humanity of Jesus. Now listen to this. The, the account in Luke says this, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. So as Jesus is praying, as he's sorrowful, as he's agonizing, even unto death, man, an angel from the Lord comes to strengthen him. This is how agonizing this was for our Savior. And we haven't even made it to the cross yet. We're in the garden praying before he's ever arrested. And he is just so sorrowful for what? Is about to happen. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about this as we as we close later, but man, he wasn't afraid of death. It wasn't death that he was he was sorrowful about. He was sorrowful that he was about to take on the sin of all humanity and the wrath of God. Because he didn't deserve that. Now we deserve that wrath. We see the humanity of Jesus. Then if we continue to read, it says, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we have the sorrowful Jesus, and then we're going to see two responses to this from the disciples. And the first one is this, the sleepy disciples. These jokers, they just fall asleep. Have you ever been praying at night thinking, man, I got to get this prayer in because I haven't really prayed. I really need to get this prayer in. I told this dude I'd pray for him three days ago and I still hadn't prayed for him and I, I need to pray. And then, man, you wake up at like midnight and it's like, oh, man, what happened? Anybody ever been there? You fall asleep while you're praying. Okay, 
So these disciples do that. I don't even know if they were praying. They just fell asleep. Now, let's show them a little bit of grace, right? They've had a long day. They just had a big dinner. They just found out somebody's going to betray Jesus, and they don't want it to be them, and they're all like, we'll never betray you. We love you. We're never going to leave you, and we're going to see that they all leave him, right? So they just had a, they've had a busy day. They're really tired. Maybe they had kids running around that Scripture just doesn't tell us about. Like, we don't know, right? But they fall asleep. And I'm wondering how many of us have just fallen asleep in our walk with Jesus. How many of us are just going through the motions and we're really just sleepwalking when it comes to following after the Savior? Man, these guys are walking with him. And a lot of people think that Peter, James, and John, they're always the three that go with Jesus. They, a lot of people think that they were just his favorite, right? They were the closest. Now, I was a youth pastor for a long time, so this is what I think. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a youth ministry before, but, man, you can be having a really good time, and then maybe you need to step away. And there's always those students that you take with you because you know when you walk away, they're going to cause some trouble right? There's just always those students. It's like, all right, well, I need to go over here. So you, you two guys, you're coming with me. You're not staying, right? You come with me. They're not my favorites. I just know they're going to cause trouble. That's how I think these three guys were, right? If you, if you read about these three guys, Peter is just crazy. We've talked about him. And then you have James and John who get their mama to go to Jesus to ask if they could be the greatest, right? So I think he just knows I can't leave them by themselves. They're coming with me. But man, they fall asleep. They fall asleep in the presence of Jesus. Man, and some of us have fallen asleep. Some of us have fallen asleep. And this is why they don't understand the moment. They don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the significance of the event that is about to take place. And we don't have that excuse. We understand the significance now. We know what happened. Man, and we're still falling asleep on the Savior of the world. And there's a lot of reasons for this, but I think one of the biggest reasons that we do this is because we haven't allowed it to, to really sink in to our souls what it means to follow after Jesus. Now, following after Jesus isn't just saying a prayer and coming to church on Sundays, right? Following after Jesus is an everyday decision that we wake up and we say, hey, I want to follow after you today. Man, and don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if, you, if you're saved that you're going to lose your salvation if you don't do that every day. I'm not saying that, right? That w once you give your life to Jesus, man, you're sealed by the power of the Spirit. What I'm saying is to be truly, fully committed, fully devoted followers of Jesus. It's a daily decision for us to lay our lives down and to follow after Him. And that means to let our desires go. That means to get rid of this worldly flesh that is just eating at us every single second of every single day. And to follow after the Savior of the world. But too many of us have fallen asleep. 
Verse 42 says, again, for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep, take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. So here's what's going on. Jesus, he prays, he comes back, the disciples are sleeping. He says some stuff to Peter like, man, you can't even stay awake for one hour. Why don't you stay and, and pray? Because, hey, I know you want to do this, but the weak is, the weak, or the flesh is weak, right? The, the spirit is willing, but man, the flesh is weak. So pray that you don't enter into temptation. And this is important because we're going to see that just in a, a few hours later, Peter, he falls into this temptation. Man, and that's why prayer is so important in our lives. So we have the sleepy disciples. Number three is this. We have the sword-yielding Peter. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Listen, really quick. Think about the, the irony of this. Here's Judas, a disciple of Jesus, making a deal with the enemy to betray Jesus. He walks up to him and they do a customary kiss. And, and that part's not ironic, but this is the ironic part. He says, greetings, teacher. He understands who Jesus is, yet he still betrays him. And how many of us in this room, in this place, understand who Jesus is, but we live a life that betrays him each and every day? Now we come to church on Sunday and we kiss him and we say, greetings, teacher. We say, hallelujah, praise God, praise Yahweh. Man, praise the cross. Thank you for who you are. And then on Monday we begin a life of betrayal towards the Savior of the world. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus, we know from other accounts of this story that that was Peter, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Here's the deal. We have Peter who couldn't even pray for an hour. And now he's ready to fight a whole army with one sword, right? So, man, he, he's got some crazy different. He's just, he's really polar opposite. He can't pray. But, man, when it comes time to fight, he's ready to fight. So what does that tell us? This is what it tells me. It would have been much better for Peter to clasp his hands in prayer than to clasp his hands on a sword. Because Jesus says, hey, man, I'm trying to teach you something in this moment. I'm trying to teach you how important it is to pray. And of what greater honor. These disciples were there. Jesus says, hey, I want you to watch and pray for me. 
when he needed community the most, his community let him down. When he needed people to lift him up the most because his humanity was coming through and he was so sorrowful, they let him down. And Peter's over here falling asleep and now he's ready to fight. He's ready to fight all of them with one little sword. He cuts the dude's ear off. So we have Peter over here cutting ears off. We have disciples falling asleep. And we have the Savior of the world saying, hey man, it's just none of that. None of that. I'm trying to teach you something. I want you to understand that this is a spiritual matter. That this is about a relationship with the Father. And that comes through only me. Jesus is teaching something. Verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? So here's, here's Jesus talking, saying, hey, stop with this sword nonsense. If we wanted to fight them, don't you think God would send me some, some angel armies to fight? And here's what a legion of angels was. It was at least 6,000 on foot and over 700 horses. And he could have sent 12 of those legions to fight. And he never does. He never calls down the angel armies to fight for him. And Peter still doesn't get it. With one sword, he's ready to take on the entire group. And he couldn't pray for one hour. And I want you to see the difference when you're, when you're in the world and when you're in the Spirit. And we see this in the life of Peter. See, when Peter moved in the power of the world, he only cut off ears. But when he moved in the power of the Spirit, hearts were pierced for the glory of God. In Acts chapter 2, we see this. Peter had just preached full of the Spirit. Acts 2 verse 37 puts it like this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's what was going on. Peter had realized that, man, it's, it's just a better life when you're living in the Spirit. He had been filled with the Spirit of God. This Acts 2, Jesus had already died. He had already defeated death. And now Peter is not using the worldly sword anymore. He's using the sword, which is the word of God, to preach the truth of the gospel. He's not cutting off ears, but hearts are being pierced and changed because of the Spirit of God. Man, but so often we're willing to fight for Jesus, right? We're willing to use Jesus as a means to whatever end we want. But man, we're not willing to die for him. We're not willing to live for Him. We're not willing to pray to Him and to talk to Him. It's so easy for us, and man, I'm going to get political for just a minute. It's so easy for us to, to use Jesus and say, hey, you have to believe this way politically because of who Jesus is. And that's not the truth. The truth is Jesus is who He is. Man, don't twist Jesus to fit whatever you believe politically. That's not him, but what we want to do is we want to fight and we want to cut off ears. Man, if Jesus says, hey, it's not about cutting off ears, allow my spirit to pierce the hearts of man. 
Are you being led by the Spirit this morning? Are you sword yielding with the sword of the world? Or are you sword yielding with the sword of the Word of God? And here's the last, last point this morning. So we have a sorrowful Jesus. And we have sleepy disciples. We have a sword yielding Peter. And then we see the scriptures fulfilled. And we're going to close here. The scriptures fulfilled. See, all this was planned. The purpose was the cross. The purpose was redemption. And the purpose was for you to be reconciled to God. All of this is happening to fulfill the scriptures. Verse 54 says this, But how then should the scriptures be, be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Listen to this verse. Then all the disciples left him and fled. And this is important because if we go all the way back up to verse 30, it says this. And when they had sung a hymn, this is after they ate dinner, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is where they were. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. And then if you jump down to verse 34, Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, he's talking to Peter, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then the end of this, the end of verse 35 says, and all the disciples said the same. So all the disciples are saying, I will not ever deny you. I love you. I'm not going to leave you. And then we see in verse 56, but all this is taking place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. They all left. They're all scared. They have no clue what's going on. The Savior of the world has just been arrested. These disciples who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, they are now scared and they run away from Jesus. And you may be sitting there thinking, I can't believe they did that. Those are some jacked up dudes. And you're right, they are some jacked up dudes. But guess what? We are too. Thank God that we serve a God who uses jacked up people to impact the kingdom. Man, and I am the most jacked up. Man, I don't deserve the grace of God any more than anybody else deserves the grace of God. But He's good. And in His goodness, He loves me and He loves you. And in His goodness, He pours out His grace on me and on you. A God who sent His Son on a rescue mission for you, for me. A Son who lived a perfect life, who had to deal with all the temptations that we deal with, who had to deal with all the emotions that we deal with. Never think that God doesn't understand you. He does understand you. He's in a garden and he's praying and he's sorrowful even unto death. He's having some, some depression and some anxiety thinking about what's about to happen. And God sends an angel to strengthen him. And I want you to know this morning as a believer, you have the Spirit of God within you strengthening you this morning. 
He's strengthening you. Allow him. The Bible says that the angel ministers to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is ministering to you this morning. He wants you to have strength over these thoughts that you're having. And the word of God says, man, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. And when these thoughts enter your mind and you become sorrowful and you become agonizing just to the point of death where you don't even want to live anymore, I want you to replace those lies of the devil with the truth of the word of God, which says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, which says for God so loved you that he sent his son to die for you, that he has a plan and a purpose for you and your life, that you're called according to his will and he's working all things out. Replace those lies with the truth of the word of God. Man, this morning in this place, I want lives to be forever changed. Not because of anything that I say, but because of the power of the spirit of God ministering to you. Man, theologian Carson said this, Not your will, but mine changed paradise to desert and brought man from Eden to Gethsemane. Now, not my will, but yours brings anguish to the man who prays it, but transforms the desert into the kingdom and brings man from Gethsemane to the gates of glory. Man, it's never fun to say, Not my will, but your will, right? Man, because our will is usually different than what God's will is. But when we pray that, we're transformed. And then we enter into the glory of Creator God. And don't leave this place today. Don't leave this place today without understanding what it looks like and what it means to live in His glory. To bask in His glory. Man, it's so, so special. The sorrow of the Savior was essential for the salvation of sinners. And we, if we jump to Acts, and, and this, is, this, is, this is the close here, and I, I, want you to, I want you to get this picture. So we're at the Mount of Olives, and that's where the Garden of Gethsemane is, and then we see in the book of Acts that the disciples see Jesus again in the same place. And Acts 1 6 says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So here's Jesus, and they see him. This is after the resurrection, and they're like, Hey, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? And and just going back to Zechariah, this is what it means. And on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. So here is Zechariah's prophesying that Jesus is coming back and he is going to rule the earth. And the disciples see him in this place and they're like, hey, is this the time? Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivia, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Here's the picture I want you to get. Here's the disciples looking at Jesus. Jesus goes up and they're just looking into heaven. They're looking. Where'd he go? And then we have two angels that appear and they say, what are you looking at? Why are you looking into heaven? The same way that he went up, he's coming back. What I want you to do and what Jesus wants you to do is he wants you to go back to Jerusalem and he wants you to begin to share the gospel. Some of us, are we're just looking up in the sky. Man, some of you in this room, you're just looking up. Man, where, where'd he go? Where'd Jesus go? And Jesus is saying, hey, go back to your house and preach the gospel. Jesus is saying, hey, go back to work and begin to preach the gospel. Go back to your neighborhood and begin to preach the gospel. Stop looking up into heaven, right, and do what he's called you to do. And he's called you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we serve a God who is a God of love. But man, he's given us orders. And the orders is to be like him, is to bring him glory and to go out and make disciples. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? And I want to encourage you this week, begin to pray for people. Begin to invite people to Easter service. Begin to pray for the lost to find the same hope that you have. And it's time to stop being stagnant in our relationship with Jesus and begin to follow him like never before. If we really want to see this city stirred and changed, it starts with you and me. Let's stand together as we close this morning. We're going to pray and we're going to sing we're going to respond to Jesus. And I'm not going to ask you to come to come forward this morning. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to respond right where you are. Whatever that looks like. Respond to whatever the Spirit is leading you to do. And if you need to come forward, you can. I'm here. I'll talk to you. We'll pray. But man, make the decision that God's calling you to make. Maybe for some of you it's to follow Him for the first time. To give your life to Jesus. Maybe for some of you it's to rededicate your life to Jesus. You, you've just not been living the way that you know He wants you to live. And you want to make that commitment to do that this morning. Maybe for some of you it's to join Impact, to become a member of this local body. And we're having baptism in two weeks, the Sunday after Easter. Maybe for you it's to take that next step and you want to be baptized on the 24th. And maybe for some of you it's just to sit right where you are and to pray to pray and to pray like you mean it. Whatever it is, man, I, I'm, I'm praying that you have the boldness to respond. 
Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.